Hello, am I on? It's good? All right, awesome. Well, it is a truly an honor to have this opportunity to speak before you all. I want to thank the pastor for uh, asking me to do this and giving me this opportunity. So I'd like to start just with prayer, and then we'll get into what the Lord has put on my heart. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the word that you've sown into me. And I thank you for the good ground of the hearts of those listening tonight, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just believe that you are giving me utterance. And that as I sow these seeds, that it's hitting good ground. And that ground's going to produce abundantly. It's going to abound in the lives of those listening. And produce a hundredfold return in their lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. So tonight, we are going to be talking about sowing. And the Lord really put this on my heart uh, at the end of one of, or really all of Mark Hankins' meetings. The Lord spoke to my heart about it. He spoke to my heart about how sowing isn't just in finances. So finances is a big part of sowing. That's the first step of sowing. But there's so much more to sowing. And since that time, the Lord has been speaking to me about this, and that's why I'm sharing it with you all tonight. So I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you consider yourself a sower? Do you consider yourself a sower? Or does God consider you a sower? When I say the word sower, I'm talking about someone who sows seed. So Jesus explained this in Mark chapter 4, verse, four or, yeah, verse 14. He's talking about the parable of the sower who sows seed on the four different types of ground. And after he tells this parable, the disciples come up and they don't understand it. And Jesus says that you must understand this parable to understand all other parables. And he says, he gives a definition of the sower, and it's a very simple definition. He says, the sower soweth the word. So a sower is one who sows or scatters seed. And when I looked that up in the Strongs, it said uh, it can also encompass receiving seed, which goes along with it. You have to have seed to sow. So if you don't have any seed to sow, you can't be considered a sower because you can't fulfill sowing that seed. The seed that Jesus is talking about is the word of God. And Jesus was the word made flesh. So what seed are we supposed to be sowing? We as believers, what seed do we have on the inside of us that we are supposed to be sowing to everybody around us? Well, it's it's the incorruptible seed of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.23, Peter says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we have the incorruptible seed of Jesus Christ dwelling on the inside of us. So what does that what does that encompass? Well, it encompasses finances, prosperity as part of the atonement, part of I know you all know this being in this church, because uh, Pastor does a great job at explaining all this. Forgiveness is in the atonement, so that's contained in the seed. Redemption, justification, salvation, physical healing, deliverance, freedom, gifts of the spirit, the manifestations of the spirit, power. Authority, all of these things are contained in the incorruptible seed of Jesus Christ. 
So if these are all contained within the incorruptible seed of Jesus, then why aren't we all seeing these abound abundantly in our lives and everybody's lives around us? Abound, that word abound, according to the Strong's definition, means to exceed a fixed number of measure, to be left over and above a certain number of measure, to be over, to remain, to exist or be at hand in abundance, to overflow, to furnish one richly so that he has an abundance. It's also used of a flower that's going from a bud and actually coming to maturity and opening up. I believe what Jesus willed for his disciples, what he wills for us is that we abound in this life in everything contained in the incorruptible seed that he sowed on the inside of us, that we mature, that we're not just a bud, that we open up to where, like Matt was saying on Sunday, we're a billboard. People look, if there's a, if there's a, a garden full of flowers that are opened up, that draws your attention. And you just sit and observe the beauty. You wonder That's what we should be in this world. We should be flowers that are open, that everybody can see, that draws everybody's attention, that they sit and they wonder why. So the key to seeing an abounding harvest from that seed, the incorruptible seed of Jesus, is contained within the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. And that's my, my heart tonight is to get that across to you that we must sow in order to reap. There's four elements needed for a harvest. Or I'm not a farmer, so there could be other elements, but these are the elements I came up with. So uh, there's the sower, there's the seed, the ground, and then the nutrients, the sunlight, the, the rain. All those things are needed to produce a harvest. But I believe the most important part of that is the sower, you know, I've, I've bought a, a big 50-pound bag of grass seed because I'm planning on planting some grass. And this grass seed was really expensive, but it's supposed to be one of the best out there. But I can buy that seed, and I can prepare the ground, and I can have, have rain and sunshine and shade and everything else be perfect. But if I don't take that seed and plant it into the ground, nothing's going to happen. So the, the, the key scripture, or the, the scriptures I'm going to use tonight is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. And hopefully, as I go through this, uh, you'll be able to see this spiritual law and understand it and then apply it to your own life. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, chapters 8 and 9, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's specifically talking about finances, He is, apparently the Corinthian church, a year prior to this, had said, had purposed in their heart to give an amount to the Macedonian church. And apparently it was a large amount because Paul said that he boasted at their their heart of giving, at how much they wanted to give. And now he's sending a letter to them beforehand because he wants them to be prepared and to gather this, this offering, this donation, so that his boasting would not be in vain. And so in verse 6, he starts out and he says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. 
Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So out of reading that scripture, I take away several principles. The first one is we must sow in order to reap. Like I said about the grass seed, you have to plant that seed. If you want a a harvest of wheat, you've got to plant wheat seed into the ground to get that harvest. You can't expect to have a different harvest if you don't plant the right seed. There's a lot of people in this world that have a harvest in their life that is a harvest of destruction, of, of, of death. Going to jail or wrecking their car and almost killing themselves. People will sow using methamphetamine and they'll reap being a slave to methamphetamine. It's a beautiful county, but, but drugs are destroying a lot of people in this county and not just this county, but the world. They're reaping what they have sowed to the flesh. According to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, whatsoever a man sows, that sows to the flesh, and by the flesh he will sow or he will reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, by the Spirit you will reap everlasting life. He says, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. This is a principle played out in Scripture. This is a principle played out at the beginning of time when God created this earth. He created us to be sowers. He created us to receive seed and then also to sow seed. So the first principle, again, that I take from that is we must sow in order to reap. The second is we must purpose in our hearts what kind of a sower we will be. And I'll get, I'll get into that more in just a minute. The third principle, we must sow with a cheerful, willing heart, a heart in faith by love. Galatians 5, 6 says that faith worketh by love. And I'll explain, explain here in just a minute why I'm saying that, why that's so important, why that's a key to sowing and receiving the harvest that God wills for us to receive. And the last one, not the last one you can get, but the last one that I've written down is once we sow, we must stand in faith with expectancy on God's word that what we've sown will abound, will produce, will, a harvest will come up. If we look at this, these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, I'm sorry, 6 through 8, that's what I read. I had 6 through 11 here. Um, we see verse 6 says that we must sow, and if we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. If we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. And then you got verse 7 sandwiched in between verses 6 and verses 8. Verse 7 is the key to receiving the abundant harvest that's mentioned in verse 6. Verse 7 is, saying, is talking about your heart condition. And this is why I believe that sowing with the correct heart condition, not just finances, but sowing everything contained in the incorruptible seed of Jesus Christ, is the key to producing the abounding harvest that God has for us. Verse 7, again, says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And then 8 is the fulfillment of what takes place once 6 and 7 has been done. Verse 8 says, 
you will abound. God will cause all grace to abound towards you. You will have all sufficiency in all things, always, and abound in every good work. Why is, why is your heart the most important vari- variable in this equation? Well, according to 1 Samuel 16, 7, Samuel says, For man, talking about David, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You see, God loves a cheerful giver. And that word cheerful comes from the Greek word, I'm probably going to butcher this by saying it, but hilario, or H-I-L-A-R-O-S. It's where we get the word hilarious from. So we should give in a way that makes other people look at what we're doing and, and laugh. Like, what a, what a fool for them to be giving this money to a ministry or to a church and not spending it on themselves, not hoarding it, not putting it in their bank accounts. And we should be, we should cause amusement with other people that are not believers, with the world, at how we are giving. That word means cheerful, joyous, prompt to do anything, willing. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because he is one. He, he is the first cheerful giver. God cheerfully gave his son, willingly gave his son, because God was following the principle that is, is outlined here in 2 Corinthians. He wrote it, obviously in the New Testament, but he's fulfilling this principle with how he sowed Jesus. The harvest to come. Jesus fulfilled 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, perfectly throughout his life. Jesus, he was the greatest sower ever to live, ever to walk on this earth. I believe he sowed from the time that he was a toddler (laughs) to the time that he hung on the cross. He was constantly sowing. According to John 1.14, it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. If we look at this scripture that we've been going back to, God makes all grace abound toward us when we sow with the right heart attitude. How was Jesus full of grace and truth? He continually sowed with the right heart attitude out of love, willingly, and grace abounded in his life. We receive everything from God by grace. It's by grace through faith, right? The ultimate gift, the gift of salvation we received by grace through faith. If the ultimate gift that God gave, which unlocks the door to every other gift, was received by grace through faith, then wouldn't that mean that every gift that we receive, the gift of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the... Everything's received by His grace through faith. So grace abounded within Jesus to do and perform every good work because He was a sower His whole life. He had a sower's heart from birth because that's God's heart. Acts 10.38 says that Jesus went about doing good, or you could say abounding in every good work. Again, how did he abound? Well, according to 6, 7, and 8 of chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians, we abound by sowing, sowing with the right heart. This is how salvation works. We willingly sow our lives into the death of Jesus. And by doing that, 
by making him Lord by faith, grace abounds. In Romans, it says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So when Jesus hung on the cross, willingly sowing himself and died, defeated death, rose again, grace abounded. That was the harvest of him sowing. God made all grace abound toward him. Sowing with a willing heart is the key to unlocking abounding grace within us. And I want to point to one example in the word. I had several examples, but I would not have enough time to go through all of them. You can find examples everywhere within the word of God of this principle being played out. But I think the greatest example that I found in the New Testament was the feeding of the multitude, the feeding of the 5,000 men. I always wondered, I'd read that, I always wondered how, how that took place. How did the bread supernaturally multiply? Did Jesus sit there and multiply all the bread and hand it out to every single person? I'm going to show you that's probably not what he did. This is the only miracle apart from the resurrection that's detailed in all four Gospels. This is a very important miracle for every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to include within each book, within each account. I believe this is, apart from Jesus raising from the dead and us being his harvest, I believe this is the greatest example of a supernatural physical harvest a bounding harvest, a harvest that multiplied supernaturally. I'm going to give you a little, little bit of a background before I get into the actual miracle that took place. Most historians believe that the number of people present at that time was between 15 and 30,000 people. There was 5,000 men mentioned, but a conservative amount, including women and children, would be 15,000 to upwards of 30,000. So if you, can, if you can take yourself and just imagine standing in the middle of William Stadium at Liberty University on the 50-yard line, and you're standing there with Jesus' disciples, you're one of his disciples, and Jesus is there, and you look out, and the whole crowd, the, all the stands are full of people. That, that stadium fills, if it's completely full, can seat 29,000 people. So let's just say there's 29,000 people here that Jesus was ministering to. That just kind of gives you an idea of what these disciples were seeing with their eyes. So if we go to Luke chapter 9, we're going to read verses 10 through 17. And, well, I'm not going to read exactly every single verse, but that's where we're going to be looking at. So the circumstances surrounding this miracle, Jesus and his disciples go off to take a break. They're on vacation. They're trying to, to rest. And these people find out where Jesus is at. And so they go, and from all the surrounding areas, they come out to see Jesus. And Jesus has compassion on them. And it says that he began to teach them about the kingdom of God. So the first thing Jesus does with this crowd of people is he sows the word into them. I believe he was teaching them about the parable of the sower. Jesus used parables to teach on the kingdom of God. And I believe that it was, he was talking about sowing seed. That's not mentioned in the scripture, but I think that's what he was teaching. 
He also healed all those who had need of healing. So he not only sows the word into them, but then he sows healing into them. So the people have received the word. They've been healed. And now it's late in the day, and his disciples say, Master, why don't you send them away to go home so they can get something to eat? I honestly don't think they cared whether they were hungry or not. I think they just wanted the crowd to leave. They wanted a break. And Jesus looks at them in verse 13, and he says, you give them something to eat. So, again, William Stadium, you're standing there on the 50-yard line, stands all full of people, and Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And so... The disciples respond with the limits they see in the natural, the facts. They say, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. Different accounts of this say that even 200 denarii worth wouldn't feed all these people a little bit. 200 denarii is about eight months of a person's salary. Notice that it doesn't doesn't say they didn't have 200 denarii worth. I think they did. I think they had in their treasury eight months worth of salary. I think they had that at hand, and they're saying whatever, even what we have isn't available or wouldn't feed all these people. So there's a lot of people who think that Jesus walked around poor and in lack. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe the greatest sower of all time did not sow in finances as well. I mean, Jesus said in Luke I'm going back here in my notes, but Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, he says, he who is faithful in that which is least, talking about finances. If we are faithful in finances, it says that then he can give us the true riches. If we can't be faithful in our finances, then that closes a door to the true riches that Jesus is talking about. And I believe that's the abounding harvest of the incorruptible seed. So Jesus responds responds with sowing with a cheerful, willing, joyful art. He instructs the people to sit down. He prepares them to receive orderly in groups of 50s and 100s. And in verse 16, it says, Jesus, or then he, Jesus, took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed, broke, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So Jesus broke the bread and the fish and sowed a portion to the disciples. Are you, are you understanding a, a spiritual concept here? He broke the bread and he sowed. He gave to somebody else. He gave to his disciples. And then he gives instructions to them. He says, now take and go and set before the multitude. That doesn't mean that they went to every single. It's okay. <laughs> it says that he, they set the bread before them. So that would mean that if I had food up here, I would come down and I'd set that food right there. And then somebody in that crowd would have to, by faith, go up and partake of that food and then do likewise. So to somebody else. The disciples had to take that bread by faith and his word to go and set before the people and turn around and go to the crowds and set these before the groups of 50s and 100. And then I believe 
It doesn't say this in Scripture, but based on the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping, which causes all grace to abound, that we can have all sufficiency in all things and abound in every good work, I believe the people had to then go take by faith that piece of bread in a crowd of 30,000 people, break, and then give to somebody else. And every time somebody broke and gave, grace abounded. They had all sufficiency for all things, and it abounded to every good work. Is feeding 30,000 people a good work? That's a good work. Every time they broke, power was released when they gave. If Jesus would have been the source, Jesus was the power source, but I'm saying if Jesus would have been the one to give out one piece of bread to every single person, let's say he took all 30,000 people and said, all right, line up in a line and just follow through here and I'll give you one piece at a time. That would have taken 16 hours for Jesus to feed 30,000 people a little piece of bread. That's not even full. It says that the people were filled. They, they couldn't eat anymore. They were so full. So in verse 17, it says, They all ate and were filled, and twelve baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. The King James Version says, Twelve baskets of leftovers remained. That word remained is the same Greek word used for abound in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. So what I believe happened is all these people were breaking and sowing, breaking and sowing, breaking and sowing, that it just abounded to the point where it couldn't stop abounding, and now there was 12 baskets full of leftovers in the crowd that they took up afterwards. What we don't see, again, is Jesus breaking all the bread and distributing it to the people. He distributed it to the disciples. Then the disciples distributed it to the people. We don't see the people receiving the bread from Jesus himself. The disciples running, we don't see the disciples running back and forth to Jesus over and over. You know how exhausting it would be to carry a a basket of bread, to wait there while Jesus breaks every piece of bread, fills a big basket, and then you run to a group of 50, give out the bread, then run back. And you do that for hours and hours. It's it's impossible. The, The disciples would have been passed out. They would have been done. We don't see that. We don't see Jesus placing a limit of how much they could consume. We don't see Jesus saying, all right, just take, just take this much and break off and give to the next person, and that's it. I fed you. You're done. No, he said, eat as much as you want, but break, break and distribute. What do we see? When we read this, what do we see? We see supernatural abounding multiplication. We see Jesus sowing bread to the disciples by faith. Jesus had to believe that his disciples were going to sow this bread. He had to believe by faith that they were going to obey his word. The disciples receiving the bread in Jesus' words had to be received by faith and then sowing that bread into the people. I would feel pretty nervous if I had a crowd of 30,000 people that were hungry And I was walking to them with just a handful of bread. That's an act of faith. That's, I mean, I don't believe they sowed out of love for the people. I believe the disciples sowed out of love for Jesus. 
I believe that that's why they sowed, because obviously they didn't really care too much about the crowd. They wanted to send the crowd away. So they loved Jesus to the point where they were willing to obey him even if they looked foolish. Then the people receiving the disciples' word by faith had to believe and sow by faith to each other. Now, it says that I believe there were families there, there were kids there. If I was there with my wife and my six kids, I would probably be tempted to tell my kids, just take a little bit. Just take a little bit. We don't want to. But if you sit there, if I'm in the back row and I see this one piece of bread go through this line, that line, that line, and come back to me, I'm probably going to take a lot of that bread. So I'm like, I don't know what's, what the deal with this bread is, but it's multiplying. So why is this so important to us as believers? I believe this church, more than any other church that I've ever been to, is more faithful, more excited about sowing and finances. I've never been to a church where people cheer to sow at the offering time. I mean, that's amazing. That's awesome. So this church is, I believe, faithful more than any other church to sow in finances. And I believe this church and the people in this church are abounding in their finances. But this does not only apply in finances. Pastor sows to us every Sunday and Wednesday the bread that he gets from the Lord. We sow to ourselves when we do our devotions from reading the Word of God. It says that Jesus is the bread of life. Right? Jesus said, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. If you don't, you have no part of me. So every time we open God's Word, we are taking part of the bread of life. But if we take that bread and just consume it, and we never sow it to other people, we're not going to see a harvest in salvations. We're not going to see a harvest in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're not going to see a harvest in healing. We're not going to see a harvest in any of the other things contained in the incorruptible seed of Jesus if we don't sow it. We can have that seed within us, the most powerful seed of all time on the inside of us. And again, like the grass seed, if we don't sow it, we are not going to abound. So we might be abounding, or we are, I believe we are abounding in finances, and that's the least. That's the least of these. In so many churches, I believe people are sitting there, and they're consuming, they're eating the bread given to them by the pastor. But then when they walk out that door, they don't ever sow what they've gotten from the pastor into anybody else. And then by the end of the week, they're hungry again, so they come back to church and they just eat again. You're either a sower or you're a consumer. The difference between a convert and a disciple is a disciple sows. It is not on the pastor for this church to grow. The pastor sows into us the bread. And then we have a responsibility on our part to go out and sow it to other people. The responsibility of feeding the multitude did not rest on Jesus. In fact, I might be wrong in this. I haven't studied completely all four gospel accounts, but I don't think Jesus ever said it was a miracle. I believe he said 
to the disciples, do you not remember the multiplying of the bread? Jesus didn't, didn't say, he didn't point to him and say, this was a miracle that I did. I believe he was saying, I sowed into you and you were faithful to sow into others, which then multiplied the seed sown. So we can't sit here and we can't believe and pray and, and for, for this church to, to grow and explode and rely on, on, on the pastor, the one up here ministering, to be the one that feeds the multitude. We've got to be the ones to take, take part and eat and then break and give. And that's in finances number one is in finances. If you can't be faithful in finances, then you're not going to be faithful in the other things. If you can be faithful in finances, that's going to lead to you being faithful in sowing healing into somebody else, sowing joy into somebody else, sowing authority, the power of God into somebody else, deliverance. All these things are contained in the incorruptible seed of Jesus Christ. And I believe that the body of Christ is walking around, for the most part, as consumers, relying on the figureheads to be the ones to feed the multitude. And that's just not the case. That's just not the spiritual principle that Jesus laid out in Scripture. Jesus wants you to be a sower. So my question is, are we being faithful sowers? And this is, again, this is something that God put on my heart. God has challenged me. Every time I go to work, am I being a sower of whatever field that's presented to me? Am I sowing what's been placed on the inside of me? Are we being faithful sowers of the bread that we receive? Or are we consuming the bread and holding it within ourselves, within our own storehouses? Hebrews 4, chapter 2 says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In James 2.20, it says that faith without works is dead. Mixing faith with the word is going and stepping out and doing the word. Amen. That's what mixing faith is. Mixing faith isn't receiving it and being like, that's a good word, and then going out and just forgetting it. And I've done that. I did that for a large majority of my life. But it wasn't until I started sowing, number one, in finances, it wasn't until I realized that I need to be a sower in order to reap a harvest. It wasn't until my wife and I made it, we purposed in our heart to be givers that our finances changed. It wasn't until we purposed in our heart and we sowed the word in our heart to be the hands and feet in Jesus wherever we go and, and to be bold that we, we saw salvations or we saw people's lives changed. You're not going to see that harvest unless you sow those seeds. Amen. We are to be bold as lions. And I'm, we are all growing in that. I'm growing in that. But it says the righteous are bold as lions. I'm righteous. You're righteous. If you're a part of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been made righteous. So I want to end tonight with this. Church, choose tonight purpose in your heart to be a faithful sower of the word. God promises that he will 
Not he might, he will make all grace abound so that always we will have all sufficiency in all things and abounds in every good work. Jesus said in John 14 that the works, you could say the good works that I do, you shall do also, and even greater works than these. What was Jesus anticipating his harvest to do? To abound in his works, to abound to greater works, because that process of abounding just won't stop, just keeps on going. So I want to challenge this church tonight that if you're like me, if, you, if you're hearing this tonight and these seeds are hitting good ground and the Lord is challenging you to be a sower in your workplace and God's challenging you to be a sower at the store, to be a sower here at church, to be a sower wherever you go, and He's promising you based on this scripture that grace will abound for you to perform every good work. Works will abound. Works will follow you. Follow you. If, you're, if that's a part of your heart right now, if, if Jesus is ministering to you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask that you stand and let me pray over you. Because I'm standing because I'm, that's me. I, I, need, I want to abound in every good work. I don't believe anybody is fully abounding in every good work. I want to ask if that's, if that's you, and I'm hoping that's all of you in here, because we all need to be standing, but if, if you don't want to, that's fine. But I'm going to pray that grace abounds in your life. As you sow, as you become a sower in every area that's contained within the incorruptible seed, grace is going to abound. And that as grace abounds the good works of Jesus will abound within you. And everywhere you go, people will sit and wonder. You will be a billboard for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will sit and wonder. You know, people scoffed at Jesus on the cross because he was willingly giving his life. They said, if you are the Son of God, save yourself. They mocked him. They, they, they took amusement of what was taking place. But what they didn't know was Jesus was sowing the greatest seed of all time, and you and I were his harvest. So we need to be looking at the harvest to come. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for the... For the seed, Lord, that you've sown in my heart. Lord, I desire to be a sower for you. And I believe this church desires to be a sower for you. That this is how Central Virginia is going to change. This is how lives will be changing, Lord. We will impact this community and it will abound to other communities. Lord, that this whole area will see your good works on display Everywhere they go, everywhere the members of this church go, they will see you. They will see your works. They will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. They will see the gifts of the Spirit manifesting. And they will sit back and wonder what is going on at Freedom Word Church. Lord, I just speak of an abounding harvest over every member here.
that they will have all sufficiency in all things, always, regardless of the economy, regardless of the lack that we see with our eyes in the world, that your bread has the potential to increase and abound a hundredfold if we just mix it with faith. Lord, I'm choosing to mix it with faith tonight. I believe this church is choosing to mix it with faith tonight, that we are going to give and be sowers with a willing heart, not grudgingly or out of obligation or out of fear, but with joy, looking at the harvest to come. Thank you, Jesus, for living on the inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor, if you want to take over. Thank you, everyone. It's been an honor. Great job. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Taylor. Hallelujah. Well, you can be seated. We're going to receive our offering. I don't need to read any other scriptures or anything. If you're not motivated to give, you were asleep. <laughs> that was a wonderful message, Taylor. Thank you so much. We just thank you, Lord, for our giving. We release it into the kingdom of God. And as it leaves our hands into your hands, we know that the harvest that comes back from your hand is many times multiplied. And we give you thanks and praise that we are able to be a giver. Thank you that we are sowers, not just here, not just in money, but in all these good things you put into our lives to give away. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, I know you were blessed. And uh, we're thankful for the Word of God. I want to mention a couple of things before we go tonight. This Saturday at 9 in the morning is our men's ministry meeting. All the guys, please make your plans to be here. Bring something good to eat for breakfast. Guest speaker is Mr. Kim Ken Bombard. And that is Jack, Brother Jack Adams' mentor, a guy he's known, I guess, many years. And uh, we're just blessed to excited to get to meet him and to hear from him. Maybe he has some really good stories to tell about Jack. We, we, you know, we'll see what we can find, what we can dig up. Anyway, it's going to be good. And guys, we hope you'll come in. You're welcome. Certainly, please invite other friends. They don't, you don't, they don't have to come to this church. Uh, and you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to go because, you know, I don't go there. And, you know, I'm just going to be eating or whatever. Well, tell them that you're going to bring extra. So there's no problem. Amen. Then on Sunday, it's Family Sunday and Communion Sunday. And uh, we're excited about that. And so we will be celebrating communion and we will have a great time. And then looking ahead to uh, on beyond, the uh, church office is closed on Monday, which is July 4th. And then there's no prayer school on the 5th with the day after. So uh, that's going to be a long weekend for most everybody. And uh, we are very grateful for our nation. With all its problems, I'd rather be here as any other place on the earth. And with our prayers and with our faith, we can, we can affect change, praise the Lord. 
And then on to July 9th, which is not really all that far away at 11 a.m., is uh, July Ladies' Ministry Meeting. And I know Glenn will have more to tell about that as we get closer to that. So anyway, good things are coming. We're excited about what the Lord is doing. And I tell you, I don't think the devil wanted that message to get out. Did you notice all the lights going out and everything else? And I apologize for that microphone because I know what ha I, it dawned on me what happened. We, we had the wedding after we had that thing on. Normally it should work, but I'm sorry. Anyway, but you did hear it though, didn't you? Amen. Hallelujah. So God bless you. We want you to have a great rest of your week. Be safe driving home. Looks like it's raining, wet, and all that stuff out there. Be safe. And uh, we'll see you here, guys, on Saturday and everybody else on Sunday morning. Be blessed. You are dismissed.